0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, bike editor at Blister and host of the show, and this week I am joined by our fellow reviewers Dylan Wood and Simon Stewart to do yet another reviewer reports episode where we're giving you a rundown on a selection of the bikes that we've been testing of late, kind of across the whole travel spectrum and including both a bunch of standard bikes and some electric ones. So there's a lot in here. We're touching on everything from the Chromag Darko to the new Pivot Shuttle AM to the Comensal Supreme V5 DH bike and a whole bunch of stuff in between. So give it a listen and get some insight into what we are testing right now. Well, Dylan, Simon, great to sit down and chat about bikes with you two as always, and Dylan, glad you were eventually able to join us. We had some uh, recording shenanigans, we'll say, getting this one going, but we're here, we're doing it, Uh, and we've got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about, including, I guess, conventional bikes, both very short and very long travel, and... A bunch of e-bikes kind of in the middle so uh, a little bit all over the place but as per usual we're just kind of doing a rundown on some of the stuff we've been reviewing of late and there's a pretty broad spectrum there so I guess maybe I'll kick it off with the Chromag Darko start at the uh, short travel end of things here and um, yeah for folks who haven't seen it it's Chromag's one of their two initial adult full suspension bikes after being sort of definitionally the aggro hardtail brand for what 20 plus years um and it's as one might expect from promag the bunch of kooks who are mostly riding hardtails in whistler all the time uh a pretty interesting and kind of maybe a little bit niche bike but also one that i think is really uniquely fun in the right circumstances and for the right people so Short version to deal with it, and we've got a first look and a flash review up on the site for people to check out, too. But it's a uh, 120 rear travel bike with a 150 travel fork, so kind of an unusually big mismatch there. And the standard version that I've been riding is mostly a steel frame, albeit with uh, aluminum chainstays, kind of a pretty normal horse link layout. Nothing too crazy going on there. They do also make a version with a tie front triangle, but we've not ridden that and then really notably aggressive geometry for a 120 travel bike and the kind of short version is that chromag talks about it as being sort of their concept of a bike that rides something like a really aggressive hardtail but has a little bit of rear suspension to just kind of take the edges off and make things a little more comfortable and compliant and As odd as that might sound, it's actually about right. It's basically a wildly aggressive 120 travel bike that I wouldn't really say that most people should be cross-shopping against most other 120 travel bikes. It's more like a, you know, kind of more typical like 140, 150-ish travel bike in terms of how it handles and in terms of the kinds of trails that it's most fun on but it's just a more lively kind of poppy version of that largely just by dint of not having quite as much suspension travel. So to give an idea of what I'm talking about here, uh I actually took it up to Crankworks as the only bike that I brought with me, granted I was riding a bunch of other people's bikes up there too, so it's not like I was Exclusively spending time on the Darko, but I rode it a bunch in the bike park. I rode a whole bunch of real Burley Valley pedal trails on it. Uh, and there are not very many 120 travel bikes that I would have much interest in doing all that with. But the Darko definitely felt like a short travel bike doing that, but it was very readily up for it. Um, the trade offs are that it's not really all that efficient pedaling for a 120 travel bike and it's also not that exciting on flatter mellower trails it's a very game on aggro bike that happens to have a bit less travel than most things that fit that bill um, but really pulls off being super lively and fun to just boost off everything and try to ride really precisely and aggressively and does that impressively coherently despite kind of a atypical mismatch of uh various traits that it's got going on and as someone who really likes aggressive hardtails and spends a bunch of time on them and owns one myself maybe that's kind of helping ease the transition into it and have it feel a little bit less atypical we'll say but i'm really clicking with it and it's definitely not a bike that i'm gonna go recommend to a whole bunch of people right off the jump but if what I've all just said sounds like fun to you, it really is. The bike is sweet.
1: Dang, that does sound sweet. Because <laughs> I typically, I, I like those kind of bikes myself as well.
0: Uh, quite a bit, actually. Yeah, I mean, and the thing that I think kind of stands out to it about it in a way is that like there definitely are a bunch of other aggro short travel bikes out there. Stuff like the Canyon Spectral 125 or, you know, there are a bunch of others, but the or the um, the Transition Smuggler reviewed both of those recently, being kind of good examples of it. Um, and it's a tricky balancing act between trying to make a bike that's short travel and aggressive without making it just feel like an enduro bike that doesn't have as much suspension and kind of doesn't really... Cohere into something coherent as a result of that and like i honestly kind of felt like the uh spectral 125 didn't do that super successfully it was just a little bit too much just like a bigger bike but with less travel and the smuggler i i really like but it's just a little bit more nimble and a little bit less bike than the chromag is which is probably frankly more versatile and a better option for more people than the darko but if you want to kind of take that set of traits and dial it up to 11 a little bit the darko's a really good time
1: i mean you do you do expect a a certain level of efficiency at that travel and when you're going into that category those other bikes seem to deliver that so when you're looking at that uh, chromag you're kind of like okay i don't give a shit about efficiency i want this bike just to be rad
0: yeah it's not super efficient but I am kind of not caring because I'm just having a really good time on it.
2: Yeah. seems like one of those bikes that isn't for everybody, but the kind of small group of people that it is for it, they'd be like really into it. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, that's exactly it. It's, it is a really uniquely good bike for a comparatively small subset of people, but the people who it's for are going to really dig it. So that's my take on that so far. Um, I've got a lot of time on it now. Uh, full review will be up in not imminently, but before too much longer here. So stay tuned for that. But, uh, that's where we're at on that one. Um, and I guess we'll just sort of work our way up the travel range here, which brings us into some e-bike chat. And, uh, Simon, how about you kick it off with the new pivot shuttle AM?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so Pivot, you know, had the um, the the Shuttle LT, of course, and, and um, that's a Shimano powered e-bike at 160, 170 travel. So 170 front, 160 rear, of course. And um, so they're looking for something in between in their lineup. So the Shuttle AM comes out at 160 travel, 148 in the rear. Um, and a departure from the LT, it's got a Bosch drive system. Um, in Pivot's own words, they were looking to sort of round out their e-bike lineup. So to give their customers more choices, they've got a Fazura on the, uh, the SL shuttle, they have a uh, Shimano on the LT, and now they have a Bosch on the AM. So yeah, we pick which uh, motor suits you the best, I suppose. Um, I do really like the Bosch drive systems. Um, I, I'm not at the point where I'm going to call a favorite out at this point, but the smoothness and the power delivery on that, I, I can really get into um, they are. Uh, they have a really good app as well to you know to to connect to it via Bluetooth. Um, all around, it's a very polished system. They've they've gone with a and this is how the shuttle AM presents is they've gone with a top tube sort of uh, control center that is very minimalistic, very simple. I love that. I don't need a bunch of numbers flashing at me when I'm riding any kind of bike. I'm not a, I'm a numbers guy. I don't need to know all these certain different parameters of what's going on with my ride. I'm just out riding, having a good time. I can look at that stuff later if I want to via the Bosch app, which is how I prefer to see it. Not during the ride. I think some other folks would, you know, crave a little bit more detail perhaps. Um, and you can get that on, well, for instance, a specialized has a top tube display and that has um, more detail. The Rocky has more detail. Um, so, you know, I, I think they've done a nice job with it. I like what Bosch has done. If you really want the more detail, you can get um, a display from Bosch or you can use your iPhone um, with real-time information coming through your phone with a mount on your stem or handlebar, however you want to mount it. You can get the same, you can get the same effect. So you have your options. Love that. Um, far as power goes, very comparable to the Shimano EP8 Obon motor, uh, which is like Shimano's latest version of the EP8. And 750 watt hour battery compares favorably, of course, because um, it can go, yeah, it can go about as long as I think most will ride. But the real sort of nug there is that there's also now uh, Bosch has released the PowerMore range extender, which adds 250 watts to the equation. Now, do a little math there. That gives you a thousand watt hours at your disposal if you're carrying a PowerMore with you right? That really opens up some humongous ride opportunities. So kind of stoked on that. You know, it's nice to have the ability to have more power if you want one, but not be straddled with the weight of, say, like Canyon has a 900 watt hour battery in one of their models. That's a lot of battery for everyday use, because I'll be honest with you, the majority of the rides I do, I don't use up a 750 and they're pretty big rides. So Keep that in mind. I like the idea of having a you know more modest-sized battery, even though you know 750 is pretty big, than a super huge one all the time. So you can have you know a little bit of your cake and eat it too. There. Oh, today I'm going to do a monster ride. Taking the and Stender. I'd probably put it in my pack just because it goes in the water, bot- water bottle mount area. So. That would mean you wouldn't have a water bottle for the for your ride, or just do the camelback thing. I suppose, which I'm having a hard time with these days. I like the water on the bike.
0: Okay, yeah. How about just the bike itself? Kind of, what's the handling like? What does it feel like as a bike?
1: Yeah, sorry, I'm kind of rambling on about this. All the the battery and power systems, but yeah, there's so much going on with e-bikes. It's surprisingly close in geometry numbers to the LT. So just going a, a quick. Um, snapshot head angle 64.1 i'm talking both bikes in low position shuttle lt you know 64.1 1 degree difference there and in the c-tube angle uh, 0.6 degree difference there so we're really close in the angles uh, chain stays 444 uh, millimeters versus 441 uh, the longer being the am um, stack is still nice and high how i like it so you know, 651 uh, on the AM versus 653. So a lot of numbers here, but the the point is it's really stinking close to the LT. Uh, But, you know, it's positioned as a trail bike versus, you know, an enduro bike as it should be with the travel numbers it has. And it is delivering on that 100% right now. The bike feels more lively. It feels more energetic everywhere. It feels easier to manage, which surprised me because with the numbers and the weight is within a couple of pounds, it does make a difference, so it is more manageable. It's it's funner on you know less um, aggressive trails. Um, I'm really enjoying how it rides. It's it's um, I don't know. You, I said it in my Shuttle LT full review. I really like that. I seem to get along very well with with uh, pivots e-bikes, and this isn't an exception. There, there's a little special sauce they put in there that seems to uh, resonate with me quite nicely. Um, I do really enjoy riding this bike. You know, the the only flying ointment here, I suppose, at the moment is um, a little bit of cable rattle. Um, and, you know, I kind of I opened it up and looked inside and there's foam everywhere. They've done their due diligence to try and prevent that. But uh, Pivot has mentioned it may be a um, an assembly error. So I'm going to dig in a little deeper and see what I can come up with there. Uh, yeah, uh, it's going to say like it does. And we we talked about this in The Flash. It does sort of open up the travel debate a little bit. Um we can get into that more here a little bit. We got the EXE um, poised and ready, and also the Rocky Instinct power play. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. We'll kind of go into some of the more comparison stuff in a second here. Um, but it is interesting that you're saying that the AM does really feel distinctly more nimble than the Shuttle LT, despite the fact that, as you said, the geometry is actually really close um though it is perhaps also worth pointing out that you're riding different sizes in those two frames in part because they're sort of the sizing doesn't really line up exactly between the two so you're you're kind of making the more apples to apples comparison in terms of geometry numbers between the medium shuttle lt and the large shuttle am but the, well, I mean, the AM is nonetheless more nimble despite being on the bigger size one, I guess is perhaps the highlight there.
1: Yeah, so I, I would, I would pose this question to both you two on the on the travel. Like, should it be a surprise that this bike at, at, at less travel is more nimble and more maneuverable? Because let's go um, to analog or muscle bikes as the Germans like to call them. Do you think that a 170, 160 travel, you know, enduro bike and versus just put a trail bike in or both analog, they are going to ride differently for the same reason. So I think just the reduction in travel is enough to create what we're seeing here. And and why should it be different than an analog bike in that department?
0: Uh, no reason. I mean, uh, it makes sense that there would be some difference for sure. I think the thing that I find interesting is that is maybe just the scale of the difference rather than the fact that there is one particularly when we're talking about e-bikes with all of the added weight of the drive system and battery and all the rest. I mean, as someone who has ridden e-bikes a bit, but is not, you know, spending a huge amount of time on them is not one of our primary reviewers for them. I kind of tend to struggle with just being able to pick the bike up and move it around to where I want to when descending aggressively, particularly. And that kind of nimbleness and ability to ride really dynamically just is a challenge for me on e-bikes very generally. And my hunch would have been that, yeah, the little bit shorter travel of the AM might help a bit there. But when you're contending with all the weight of the e-bike, the difference just isn't going to be all that great. And I guess you're telling me that I'm off base a little bit.
1: Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I think yeah. T- you know, I'm kind of being a little bit contradictory here, but yes, the, the 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 gap is more than I was expecting it to be. Let's put it this way. Um, you know, if you were comparing it to analog bikes, you're looking at two bikes that are probably coming in at the same weight as well, give or take, you know, ish or so. So we're we're sort of comparing those things just in a little bit, just to sort of drill down on the um, on the travel being like the the main factor of this um of this handling difference and that's that's it because with the geometry numbers as close as they are um you know there's got to be a little bit of different weight distribution of how the battery was placed on this bike and motor and systems uh, like that in comparison to the lt so everything does combine to make a bigger difference than i had expected
0: fair enough um once again flash review and first look up on that bike we'll have a full review coming in a while though don't have a huge amount of time on that one yet so it'll be a bit um and well, I guess speaking of recently arrived mid-travel e-bikes, Dylan, you've been spending some time on the new aluminum version of the Trek Fuel EXE, and tell us about how that's going.
2: Yeah, it's interesting to hear your guys' take on, on all of this, um, because I think the bottom line for me so far on the Fuel EXE has been... Doesn't feel like an e-bike in a lot of good ways, um, while still providing you know a little bit of extra juice to you know shorten your ride times, you know have you riding twenty miles in a time where you would have done twelve, and uh, and things like that. And I'm really enjoying it for sure. Um, you know anyone who's who's pedaled an e-bike and is uh, familiar with the you know power assist that you get out of it um, will feel immediately at home on on the fuel exe just in the way that it delivers power um off the bat and yeah this is definitely like smaller battery even smaller motor um only 360 watt hours in this thing without the range extender um that's available that we don't have um so yeah this this is not the bike for you know riding 40 miles and like going 15 miles an hour uphill the whole time, right? You definitely have to be conscious of the range. Um, you know, I've been able to go like full power on the way up and just uh, like the lowest power setting on the way down and getting good like 20 mile rides on it, um, you know, covering like three to 4,000 feet of elevation, which I'm, I'm pretty happy with, to be honest. Um, and you could definitely stretch that out if you're willing to go a little slower on the uphill But, you know, I'm, you know, I got stuff to do. So I'm trying to go as fast as possible. (laughs) Um, But the 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 reward in all of this is on the way down, it sort of feels very, very similar to a normal bike Um, at only 44 pounds, um, you know, without pedals and bottle cage and whatnot that's pretty impressive. Like I'm looking at my Santa Cruz mega tower right now with, you know, a coil, bunch of stuff in the down tube, Cush core, DH casing tires, and that thing weighs 40 pounds, I'm pretty sure. And so like, it's, it's really not much different on the way down, in my opinion. Um, I guess the most surprising thing was it sort of feels like, you're descending with a tailwind in the sense that it sort of feels like it picks up speed faster. And, um, I almost, I'm like, is the motor like pushing me forwards right now? And then, you know, heard the hub clicking and spinning as I'm going down. So obviously not, but yeah, I, in sort of when David, when you're like, yeah, I, I don't think I can pick up and sort of maneuver the bike around, um, when descending aggressively, that's not something I've felt at all on on the fuel. It it feels playful on the way down. It feels like I can sort of put it exactly where I need it to be, you know, hit little side hits and, and do whips and stuff. And it's really impressive in that sense. And I think the the extra weight on that bike is also doing you a lot of favors in terms of being able to stay on a line and sort of it's it's only got 150 in the front, 140 in the rear, but if you were to, you know, just tell me to hop on it, don't take a good look and guess how much travel it has, I'd probably guess closer to 150-160, honestly. It sort of feels like it it masks that in in a good way. Um and I agree with your take David on the analog conventional whatever you want to call it fuel in that it's a really intuitive bike. I think the the geometry is really easy to get along with right off the bat. It sort of feels like Trek has settled on some really safe and effective numbers, um, in the sense that, you know, the reach is really good, puts you in a good position. Um, handling is, is really well balanced between being able to, you know, stay over the front of the bike and have a tracking well on the way up and being able to go fast and not feel super twitchy on the way down. Um, so I think it's really impressive so far. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, range is not very impressive and, um, but that's sort of the, the give and take here, right? Like you get a really natural feeling bike on the way down, um, with less range, but overall, I do think that there definitely is a, like a target audience for this bike. Um, and in the way that it, it feels, yeah, natural, engaging, um, keeps its speed pretty well on mellower terrain as well. Super quick to accelerate, um, not only just in terms of the way that the the motor delivers power, but just you know having less weight, being able to get on the the pedals and 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 you know puts put down some watts yourself as well. Um, but yeah, impressed so far um jonathan has been riding it for the past week while i've been gone dodging mudslides and log jams and stuff so i'm interested to get his take as well as someone who doesn't have uh any time on an e-bike beforehand but yeah really positive so far and also impressive that you get all of this at like less than seven grand for the fuel exe aluminum 8 xt build that we're that we're testing so yeah positive so far obviously with some drawbacks that you'll have to consider if if uh if you're looking into the sort of lightweight less range less watt hours sort of sort of ride
0: yeah and that all sounds pretty similar to my take on the standard fuel ex that i reviewed a little while back too um just a really kind of intuitive handling well-rounded super versatile just kind of all-rounder mid-travel trail bike that i can see a whole lot of different people really getting along with but um and that kind of makes sense same travel numbers same suspension layout real similar geometry between the two so the fact that the exe sounds like it is in fact the electrified version of the standard one very much checks out what what
1: is the uh, range extender um what does that have for what hours do you happen to know
2: yeah it, it adds 50 percent so an extra 180 watt hours bringing you to 540 watt hours. Yeah. Um, And yeah, like you said, you got to, you know, forego a water bottle um, on the bike, at least if you're going to do that. Um, But I don't know, like, like you, Simon, I'm unreasonably uh, picky about where my water is. So if you're not like us and you're willing to suck it up and, you know, put a camel back on, then should be no problem. Right on.
0: And yeah, uh, flash review of that's also up on the site. Simon, you'll be getting some time on it at some point too. So we'll have a full review coming with a few different people chiming in on that one in a bit. Um and I guess to round it out on our trio of mid travel e bikes here, Simon, you've been spending some time on the Rocky Mountain instinct power play and i actually rode one for a day at crankworks a couple weeks ago too so uh i'll let you kick it off and i'll chime in here in a minute
1: yeah sounds good and um what i'm looking forward to as well is that the rocky is at the same travel numbers as that fuel exe exactly um so it'll be great to do sort of a head-to-head with these bikes um and and they are on complete opposite ends of the spectrum as far as power goes (laughs) because rocky has one of the most powerful motors on the system or the most powerful at hundred and eight newton meters of torque versus the fifty that's on the EXE, so a pretty big difference there, and that'll be real interesting, I think, to a run them side by side, um, uh, weigh them, you know, all those things because they are, you know, in the same category and their and their geometry numbers are exceptionally close as well, so they'll be an interesting head to head. Now on the Rocky. Um, just uh it was my um it was my first go the rocky this one on their um on their drive system um i hope i don't botch how you say this is the it's the dyname name drive system um how does that sound you're just with the rocky crew um david
0: i can't say that i actually heard anyone use the the word for it so we'll go with that
1: it could be dyname yeah okay um much like specialized, they make their own drive system, so that's really awesome. They get to be in control of that whole thing. They do their, um, uh, they do their control system. They do the battery, and they do their display. Uh, they do have one of the bigger top tube displays on the market right now with good information on there. And you know, to throw a little Canadian personality in there, they've got like a ludicrous mode and it's all you mode. You know, they got to have a little humor in there. Love that about the Canadians. Um, it uh, as in a comparison to let's say you know Bosch and Shimano, it does pull a little stronger, as it should because the numbers do indicate that it has more power. Feels like it does. It also has a real natural feel to it. It uh, it definitely applies the torque as you are applying your own power to the pedals very naturally. So that's something that stands out about it. it with the caveat, this is a high pivot bike, so there's a couple more. Um, components in there as the chain's going through, um, you know, uh, it's going through an idler wheel before and after. The motor does have a little bit more of a coarser feel in its power delivery. It's not wicked smooth. So it's something I've noticed. I like a smooth drive, smooth, smooth delivery in the power. You know, if I was looking for a car motor that would like it to be smooth, um, it's not anything that I'm going to say don't. You know, it's not it's not a yes, no, it's not a game changer on that motor. It's just a difference. It's got a little more coarser feel to it. Love the power delivery. Love how natural it is. um, But there's a little bit of coarseness there. Uh, As far as how the bike handles it, it handles a lot like the the shuttle AM, honestly. And uh, those uh, geometry numbers are quite close to the shuttle AMs as well. Is it more lively, even at a lower travel than the AM? Just a tiny bit. Yeah, a little bit more easily maneuverable, definitely. Um, I'm I'm really getting along well with it. Uh, I would prefer a little bit higher stack, so I'm going to be putting it on a higher rise handlebar. It's pretty low in comparison to some of these other bikes. Um, I've said this before, I like a higher stack on e-bikes. I think getting your your hands up really eases the, getting the front wheel off the ground descending, um, and isn't such an issue when you're climbing because you've got a motor to drive you up at a higher speed. So you're not getting that front end wandering as much. So I don't feel like there's any drawback to having a higher handlebar on the, um, on the e-bikes at this point. Uh, it, um, it's interesting, you know, as I was thinking about the travel sort of debate, you know, I've never gotten back from riding the shuttle LT and said, dang, I wish I had less travel. Um, now the question gets flipped. Do I come back from the ride on the AM or the Rocky bound um, Rocky Instinct and think, God, I wish I had more travel? Possibly. And, and here's... You know, here's just a quick bit of my take on it. Like because of the e-bike component and having the motor, I definitely gravitate towards more difficult trails now. I want I want those harder trail, harder climbing trails. I want those super technical climbs, moto trails usually as well, because you know, they go really well with um, with e-bikes. And if you've ever ridden a moto trail on a regular mountain bike, you know they don't put much switchbacks in here. These things go straight up usually and steep, gnarly terrain. And because of you know, how what you know, the e-bike makes me gravitate towards as far as trail goes, I'm still kind of in camp longer travel a little bit on this, <laughs> just because of where I tend to ride them. Um, if you're going to ride regular trails all the time, if you live in an area that has great access and you're not going to be confined to motor trails, then absolutely, these, this Rocky is going to be perfect for you in that regard. Um, and... I've still got a lot more time to put on there. I've I've got to take it up to the high country. looking forward to that. It's got good range so far. It seems to be comparable to the 750 watt hour on the Bosch and the Shimano batteries that are in the same sort of watt hour. um, Sorry, back that up. In the same watt hour (laughs) category. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Blooper reel. Okay, so... Reverse. So yeah, it seems to be uh, on par with um, some of the other drive systems and batteries that are in the same watt hour category. Um, it's coming in at uh, seven twenty, so it's it's right there with them. You know, uh, I've said this before too. When you're when you do have a bunch of guys going out on e-bikes, it does make a difference if you're all in similar watt hour categories because you all want to be riding on full power mode. Just be honest. Yes, you do. Um, that's just the nature of it. It's more fun. So you kind of want to, you don't want to go out like Dylan, if we're going to go for a ride and you're on the fuel and I'm taking the Rocky, it's got more power and a bigger battery. They're not super compatible. It's like riding with one of your friends that's not fit and you are really fit. This is kind of the same
0: thing is going to happen. No, that's interesting. And Simon, one thing I would be curious to get you to sort of expand on a little bit. Um, you know, you mentioned up top that you weren't ready to declare any clear favorite in terms of your, preferred full-power e-bike drive system, but you've been spending time on the Rocky, the Specialized, and then multiple different Bosch and Shimano drives of late. And if you had to do kind of the lightning round, what are the trade-offs or how do they feel different from each other, what would you kind of say are the main points there? Because this is something that stood out to me, uh, having, I've not ridden the uh specialized one, but having ridden the Rocky, the Bosch and the Shimano EP eight all more or less back to back at Crankworks a couple weeks ago, they do feel very distinctly different. And uh let you kick it off there.
1: Dang, put me on the spot. <laughs> okay. Um Rocky, um most powerful, most natural feeling, little bit coarse. Okay. Um Bosch Smooth, again, good power, on par with with um, with Shimano. Now, I haven't ridden the race motor yet, unfortunately. I'm I'm just, I'm really, yeah, I'm really, really want to get on the race motor. Um, and then, you know, Specialized again, that one, that was a punchy motor too. I, I do like that. And that sort of kind of fits to me in between like um, the Shimano and the Bosch as far as, you know, power delivery feel. It's not as natural as the Rocky, but it does have a good feel to it. Um, and a good sort of integrated feel because they're doing things all in house like Rocky is as well. So everything seems to go together really well. There's no like things are just kind of stuck on. It just it feels like it's uh, a cohesive build. Um, Shimano, that that motor, because when you compare it to the Bosch, it has more, a, it has on paper more assist. It has a 400% assist level versus the 320 on the Bosch non race motors. So In theory, it should have it should feel like it has more power, but it feels as pretty close to the same as me. Now, what it comes down to out of all three of these is that I have really been gravitating towards more run on. That's how much time or distance you could say the motor stays on after you stop pedaling. I want the most. To me, that makes it the most fun. That kind of rides like a moto. Then, so you come up to a section that maybe it's a rocky. Um, So rock garden, you punch the pedals a little bit, and the motor is going to keep driving. So you can get on the back wheel, and you can roost right through it. It makes for yeah, it makes for a really fun you know ride experience. It does take more you know experience and I think skill to manage that run on that run on. It can get away from you, Um, but man, that's what I want. I want the run on, and and Bosch at this point has the most of that that I've ridden out of all of these. So that kind of gets my vote, I suppose.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean that all sounds pretty similar to my preliminary takes on them. And I think for me particularly, one of the things that has stood out is that, um, I mean, the Shimano motor is definitely the one that I have the most time on cumulatively over, you know, a number of different bikes and stuff at this point. Um, and it really feels like it, even in some of the lower assist modes, not all the way down in eco as much, but if you're kind of in the middle, it comes on, just more abruptly as soon as you get on the pedals than the Bosch or the Rocky do, particularly. And um, I have struggled with that a little bit on technical climbing, particularly, where you're trying to do a little bit of a move and put in a little bit of power to get up over something, and it feels like the Shimano is just prone to coming on really hard and spinning the rear wheel. And, you know, I'm sure that there's a good bit of technique that I could be doing better there. And again, I'm not someone who rides e-bikes all that much. So I'm comparatively inexperienced at them and maybe I'm just not handling it as effectively as I might, but uh, that's been a challenge for me.
1: Oh, it's all you for sure. (laughs) Well, one thing of note is that all of these uh, dry systems are now pretty um, adjustable in the each uh, app that each respective app from these companies so you have quite a bit of control over a lot of these parameters um, and you can get pretty nerdy in there and change quite a few things so if there's some component of it that's not working for you you typically can go in there and dial that back and, and that's true in all of these cases uh yeah you know um the interesting thing is the more i've been and i've put a lot of time into e-bikes um you guys were talking about the the natural feel going downhill and and having it sort of be more maneuverable and more um active and on the bike. Uh the thing is the more time you spend on these, the more natural they all feel as it, as it turns out, and the more used to it you get. And it's that sort of in between the riding a mountain bike and riding a moto, you you definitely have to adjust your riding style. You have to use more power and more core, more arms and more shoulders. Um, someone asked me the other day, is like, what's it like on a on a five hour or sorry, a four hour e-bike ride. I was like, Oh, it's like two hours of legs and eight hours of arms. <laughs> so it's, it's a different, it's a, it's a different recipe. And I find myself like getting used to it quite a bit more. And then they're starting to feel more natural in every regard. Like, Oh man, I'm not comparing them as much to analog bikes. I'm comparing them to each other.
0: No, that all makes sense. And, um, well, except like we've got a bunch of e-bike reviews in the works here and, um, much more coming on those in a bit, but, um, to keep it moving here, I've been spending a cup time on a couple of, um, well, very different downhill, or I guess in one case, downhill ish bikes. Um, first up the Canfield 1.2. So the downhill ish part of what I was just alluding to is that I've been on the super enduro build of that bike, which Basically, the 1.2 kind of is one of Canfield's two big gravity bikes, along with the Jedi that I reviewed last year, but the 1.2 is sort of supposed to be the more nimble, playful, maybe a little bit more free ride one, rather than being a DH race bike quite as much, and they, for this year, have started offering a super enduro build, as they call it, on it, which is bumps the rear travel down to 190 from 200, and puts a 190 travel Zeb up front again, rather than a 200 millimeter travel dual crown and then a wide range, 12 speed drivetrain and a dropper post on top of that. And basically take is that it pedals actually reasonably efficiently for what it is. So it's definitely a bike you can climb on the seat tube angle is slacker than I would like for doing a ton of pedaling on it, but it does fine. And, it is really fun as kind of a more playful free ride oriented park bike that you can still do some pedaling on also. And, um, that's probably a pretty solid recipe for a bunch of people. Uh, you know, true downhill bikes, I think have increasingly gotten focused on being world cup race bikes specifically, uh, in recent years sort of as just i think the downhill bike market has contracted a bit in general people aren't buying as many of them in part i think because enduro bikes have gotten a whole lot better than they were not terribly long ago and there are a lot more people riding enduro bikes in bike parks these days and the 1.2 super enduro does feel like kind of a not entirely unique but relatively unusual middle ground between a lot of the 160 170 travel enduro bikes and true dh race bikes that for people who just want that little bit of a step up from an enduro bike that they're going to be shuttling or riding in a park quite a bit but still want something that's just a bit more versatile that they still can pedal so on and so forth it's really cool um and i've kind of just wrapping up with that one myself going to send that off to Dylan here very shortly so get you some time on it in a second take here but uh that's kind of where i'm at on that one so far and um it, i think for the right people it's a pretty excellent option
2: yeah very interested to to get some time on that one seems like a bike where so long as you keep your expectations in check as you should on a you know downhill bike basically modified to be pedalable um that would be yeah a really fun option for a lot of people. And yeah, we got the Crested Butte bike park, you know, 100 yards from where I'm sitting right now. And, um, you know, some some good trails out here too that, you know, like if you could magically have a downhill bike at the top of, then that could be pretty fun. So uh, yeah, excited to, to try that out. Yep, that'll be
0: coming your way very shortly
2: here. And so flash reviews up for that too. More
0: to come soon. But the other much more truly race focused dh bike that i've been on of late is the new commensal supreme v5 and that on the other hand feels like it is very specifically designed to be a world cup race bike which is probably no great surprise given that commensal seemingly has about half of the total world cup teams in existence and um I guess they're all hurt right now, but a, a whole bunch of the really top DH racers in the world on that bike, too. And um, it certainly was putting up some big results last year when the teams were healthier overall. But at any rate, um, it is, in fact, a very big, very stable game on race bike. But it's actually not one that feels as completely demanding of being ridden super aggressively and well as i might have expected given its pedigree um it's not a bike that's very exciting on trails that are less than very steep and very fast if you're looking for a bike to go ride in the park but you're spending a lot of time on jump lines and things that aren't steep and raw and Burly. It's just not quite so much that it feels like it's really kicking your ass on that kind of stuff, but more just that it's not really all that engaging or exciting until it's going really quickly and being pushed pretty hard. But even if you're not the most wildly talented DH racer out there, I think it's a bike that does a very good job of making it easy to go hard and go fast kind of for the level that you're at whether that's a little more intermediate or someone who's you know say literally Amory Piron for example um and so really getting along with it overall a couple little quirks um I have uh already done some pretty substantial damage to the rear wheel uh so working on getting that sorted out just um and a couple little things I want to change comes with a 780 wide bar, even on the size large that I'm riding. The XL does bump up to an 800, but um, dialing in cockpit, I wish the bar was a little wider. It's got 12 magic Marys on it, which I frankly don't like very much at all. Um, particularly on kind of the prevailing dry and loose over hard conditions that we've got going right now. They just feel very, vague and squirmy to me and i don't know i know a lot of people like those tires if you're having a good time on them great uh they're not for me so need to make some tire swaps get the wheel fixed up put a wider bar on it but um overall it's been very impressive uh oh and i guess it's worth noting too that i'm riding the olin's edition build on it with their dh38 fork and ttx 22 shock um have liked that shock a lot on a few different bikes now first time on the fork but it is also working quite well the so suspension's great and the new supreme i think does a nice job of ironing out some of the quirks that can show up with um high pivot bikes like particularly the prior generation one which i've ridden a bit as well felt really stable going mock looney through rough stuff but also had some quirks under braking where the back end settled in a lot just had a ton of anti-rise and the geometry shifted around a bunch under heavy braking and also kind of if you're really loading it up in a corner where you got a big well-supported berm the back end got so much longer on the older bike and it was a little hard to kind of keep the balance point dialed on that and they've smoothed out a lot of those rough edges really nicely on the new one and it's a really impressively intuitive straightforward bike that's pretty easy to just get on and start going real fast and you'll want to have some places to ride it where you can really go do that for it to make a lot of sense but if you do it's impressive so not a ton of time on it yet but already feeling pretty good on it and we'll be getting a whole lot more in the coming weeks and months here and flash review of that is also up on the site full review coming this fall i guess once i've got a lot more time on it but uh off to and overall very good start with that one
2: awesome yeah know a lot of people who ride really really hard on those things so yeah so
0: i guess that's probably a pretty good place to wrap this up but uh dylan simon great chatting about bikes as always and got a lot of good stuff in the works here so keep it coming and uh we'll do it again soon lots more bikes coming for sure Wow, I'm looking forward to it. Yep, and a bunch more stuff that we'll be able to talk about real soon that hasn't quite broken cover yet, so keep an eye on the site. There's good stuff coming. All right, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas, and as always, we would appreciate you leaving us a rating or review in Apple Podcast to help keep the show going and growing. I'd also like to say thanks to Dylan and Simon for the conversation, thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing the episode, and thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we'll be back again next week. Bye, everybody.